Welcome to episode two of the History of Strength Sports podcast with Hayden Balio and myself, Jacob Hawkins. So this podcast is all about the history and evolution of strength sports. So in these early few episodes, we thought it would be useful to see where we are in strength sports right now to help us look back on how far strength sports have come in future episodes. So Hayden, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Jacob. Uh, it's a nice, brisk 1 a.m. here in uh, Texas. And uh, I got some coffee, though, so I'm feeling good. I'm ready to discuss the current state of some of these strength sports. I think this is going to be part one, Jacob, right? And we're going to too much to cover in just one episode. Yeah, we were just talking before we hit record, and uh, I think we've got 11 topics that we wanted to get through this. So, um, you know, without this being a, a three or four hour podcast, I think we'll just cut it short with the with the five topics we've picked today and then uh, and then move on. But yeah, we're dealing with a 17 uh, hour time difference between Texas and Australia. So, uh, yeah, I appreciate Hayden's commitment to staying up and uh, powering through with coffee. Well, technically, I am the history of strength sports right now because... I'm in the past, Jacob. <laughs> You're sitting up there in the you know, high and mighty in your future ivory tower. Jeez, you know everything yeah, yeah. that's about to happen. Exactly. Yeah, I'll tell you any any good stuff from the future. <laughs> tell me how GameStop's going to perform, please. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, like Jacob said, we're about to hop into these uh, topics. I think we have some really good ones to cover in this part one here. Uh, we, we kind of want to start off with a strongman, right, Jacob? Go straight into the yeah. state of strongman. Yeah, I think so. So just thinking about what stereotypically when you think of strength sports, I think a lot of people would immediately envisage strongman um, as part of that. And whether it's the most popular or not, um, I think it's definitely up there um, and we need to be talking about it first. So I think in terms of participation, probably bodybuilding might be up there just because you get obviously huge amounts of people training in gyms. And if you look at any any of the um, YouTube channels run by bodybuilders, they're absolutely massive. Um, but I think in terms of household names and knowing who the strongmen are, I think they're a little bit more well-known. Um, so I think it's a good place to start. So um, strongman, possibly the biggest strength sport out there. I think it's one of the reasons for that is that it's just had more TV time, if that's fair. So World's Strongest Man is regularly shown on tv every christmas in the uk and and uh, obviously different times in the in the states um and also places like netflix have have had some really great documentaries on strongman um so i think it's it's pretty pretty up there at the moment um and i think as well a lot of notable athletes are now making a big splash on social media just examples brian shaw eddie hall half the Beyonson, huge names um just creating these huge followings and i think it's put the sport at the pinnacle um and I think kind of taking a step back, I think overall strength sports are probably the most popular they've ever been. And I think that will just continue to evolve um, as time goes on. So, yeah, Hayden, what's your thoughts about Strongman? Yeah, no, I think you hit the nail right on the head. We have these uh, more household names. Uh, not everybody, obviously, uh, knows who uh, Brian Shaw or Half Thor or Eddie Hall is. But, um, you know, if you're in the strength community if you're in the fitness world if you've watched the game of thrones you know you've seen the mountain and you've so you you've seen half thor at least right and so yeah it is it is definitely that uh sport right now that i believe is uh at the top um there's the most money right now i believe in strength and and, and strongman uh minus maybe bodybuilding as i know bodybuilders uh 
com some bodybuilding competitions do really well and there are definitely some uh, endorsements uh, in that world. But, you know, I believe uh, I was there at this last year's Arnold uh, in 2020, uh, the kind of crazy Arnold that set everything off for, for quarantine here in the States where they didn't allow any spectators, you know, but, you know, Hathor was there and they offered him, uh, I believe it was around a hundred, he was, he was planning on doing a deadlift, the, you know, the 1100, the 500 kilogram deadlift. Um, he was planning on doing it for a hundred thousand dollars, I think on a, on this kind of separate show. And I believe that he got there and they offered him $101,000 to try it then and there. Right. Uh, and that's a, you know, that's not chump change, uh, especially in strength sports, you know, like um, obviously the mountain, if I think about half Thor uh, and I won't stop, stop calling the mountain here, but when I think about uh, half Thor, I think, you know, definitely the, the man who's been able to um, benefit the most monetarily, monetarily, um, from his size and his stature and his uh, performance and, and strength sports. And so, yeah, I would agree with you. Um, I think, you know, a lot of gyms, like kind of we've talked about and what you have here in the notes here is, you know, a lot of gyms are starting to have more strongman equipment. Um, it's becoming more of a thing that people actually trained for and you can't, it's so one of the reasons why I stopped training for strongman after having done it for a little time is a little bit was that I just didn't have any equipment for it. And you're starting to see that become more uh, prevalent though. And, and that's, and that's an awesome, awesome thing to see personally, as I get to toss the log around every once in a while and uh, you know, pick up an Atlas stone at just my, my community gym. So that's really cool. Yeah, definitely. I think that's another key thing that manufacturers are now, producing specific strongman equipment whereas before it was something that was being you know welded together in in garages and things like that um i remember talking to john valger williams who's a, a previous world strongest man competitor and he told me stories about how him and magnus for magnuson were making equipment in a barn out in the wilderness in iceland <laughs> to train for iceland's strongest man and world's strongest man and things like that and i think how times have changed where you know, you can just go online and place an order and have an Atlas stone turn up at, at your home gym or gym, you know, a few days later. I think it's, um, I think it's pretty incredible. Um, and yeah, I think the thing with strongman as well at the moment is that the athletes seem to be having the most fun, um, which sounds like a strange thing to do, but it definitely seems like the one of the more interesting to watch, interesting to participate in strength sports because it does have that aspect of variability and unexpectation um, around it. So you know, many strongman competitions, they know months before what the events are going to be. Sometimes they don't. Um, you know, there's sometimes claims about the politics coming into that and favoring different athletes, but that's probably a, another episode in itself. But yeah, I think it's definitely one of the more intriguing, uh, interesting ones. And I think it's going to continue to grow. Um, and what I've seen over the past sort of couple of years is that athletes are now transitioning from other strength sports to do strongman um, simply because they're going to get a better career and you know, the short-lived career of a strength athlete is probably going to serve them better in their life. And by making that transition, just one example is Luke Richardson, um, who was a British junior powerlifter. Um, and it's funny, I remember seeing him two or three years ago, he started to take a bit of an interest in strongman. Um, and I just wanted to go to the to the bookmakers and put a, put a bet on that he'd be up there on the podium and world's strongest man, just because he was just built for it. Um, 
and he was just freakishly strong. Um, and he's transitioned now from powerlifting and, you know, his first Europe's Strongest Man, he won the title last year. So drawing those athletes in from other places, um, showing that it's a real forerunner in strength sports, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you said something um, that I totally uh, have forgot what you said now, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's I, now I remember it's what you said about athletes having the most fun out there. And I think that Strongman has understood what I said kind of in our last episode, our first episode of here was I enjoyed the spectacle and Strongman has really figured out the spectacle of strength sports they've made it uh, very much a show that you really want to watch. And my good friend Gabe Pina was invited to his first World Strongest Man this, this last year. And, you know, it was so cool to see all the stuff that he got to do, like the ads that he got to shoot, the small video clips, you know, and they're getting to post that on a regular basis, you know, leading up. Uh, when I first got introduced to Strongman, it, I think, it was when World Strongest Man was trying, the organization was trying to figure out what was going to be the move into this spectacle narrative. And their, their kind of, their first thought, I believe, was in back in 2015, 2016, when they came down to Texas and they did two shows. They did Austin Strongest Man and San Antonio Strongest Man or Houston Strongest Man, I forget. And that's, that was my first competition in Strongman. And I showed up because it was a hundred bucks just to compete and you're going to be filmed and you're going to be on a, like a TV show. Um, and it was all going to be leading up to the world's strongest man. You know, it was just kind of like this four episodes that were going to be leading up to world's strongest man to try and build an audience in certain regions. And I remember I showed up just because of the hundred bucks and I ended up winning it, uh, which was awesome. And uh, I got flown out to the Commerce Casino, got to go to the Playboy Mansion, you know, got to like where, you know, the Commerce Casino, for those who don't know, is where they, is where, uh, you know, when they do it domestically, usually it's at the Commerce Casino, World Strongest Man competition. And so I went out there and they gave me like 2,500 bucks prize money and I took some pictures and I got to go to the Playboy Mansion and it was freaking amazing, right? But they've been trying to figure out how to elevate their sport for the past, you know, five, 10 years. And it's really showing now and it has created what I would call, you know, uh, strength celebrities uh, in, in, in certain, in certain circles. And that's a, and that's really cool to see because I think that's what everybody really wants out of the sport that they love the most is to like have their, you know, have their people recognized and have more money put into the sport and more people, you know, joining the sport. So all that kind of ties in. Uh, so, yeah, no, that, I mean, that sums up Strongman in a nutshell. I do think it's at the pinnacle. Um, it's going to be exciting to see where it goes from here. Um, the Arnold has been rescheduled out of March, and that's kind of the competition besides World Strongest Man. The Arnold is kind of what I would say is, you know, Giants Life has their thing, but uh, the Arnold is where I usually would get to see it. And so, you know, this year is going to be crazy again, but uh, I'm excited to see what power, what Strongman does for it. Um, this last year at World Strongest Man, they did do the whole quarantine, uh, no, no family allowed, no spectators allowed. And so it's crazy, you know, but they got the, they got the job done and uh, we had a new World Strongest Man. And so, you know, it's all, it's all exciting. 
And uh, yeah, I think you mentioned Luke Richardson though, like maybe we should just dive straight into powerlifting then, you know, as he got to start there, it seemed like. Yeah, absolutely. So obviously powerlifting, massive, massive strength sport. I think taken a, an interesting transition over the past few years to, to where it is now. So obviously raw is now the raw powerlifting, uh, referring to not use of equipment, you know, belt, singlet, sometimes knee wraps. Um, it's sort of at the forefront of where powerlifting is um, and has been for the past sort of 10 years. And I think we did a, we did a post a couple of maybe the back end of last year, the rise of raw. Um, and you can see some graphs and things from open powerlifting there, just the participation in powerlifting as a whole has just absolutely exploded. Um, obviously there's raw on one side of it and then equipped powerlifting on the other side of it. Um, and I think a lot of people who have come into raw uh, in the, you know, in the more recent years tend to think that equipped powerlifting is either disappearing, has disappeared or, um, or is definitely on, on the way out. But that's not the case. Um, we're sort of seeing in terms of the numbers that equipped powerlifting has participation and competing levels pretty much stayed the same for the past, you know, however many years um, it's been around, which is really interesting. Obviously those equipped powerlifters, a lot of them are retiring, which means they get a new people into equipped powerlifting as well. So it's definitely not dying. It's just not increasing to the level that we see um, raw powerlifting. Um, going but i think my personal interest in powerlifting again it might be that bias but i'm definitely seeing a, a swing back to the equipped side of it um i think athletes like blaine sumner um he's got you know incredible um incredible squats and uh, benches and and then people like bryce i'm gonna murder his name here bryce krychek um you know well-known figures in strength are now making the move into single ply um and even into double ply and it's it's becoming quite a large part of the ipf um competitions as well which is which is where we see the pinnacles um interestingly as well i've had my own little dabble into single ply lifting today and i think my kind of experience in the gym perhaps sums up um what what equipped powerlifting is still seeing so just a bit of context i train on my own pretty much in in the gym it's mainly classes strength classes that are done there um and i'm usually there on my own but of course when i'm wrestling myself into my squat suit for the first time today somebody walks in and i just think his emotions as uh <laughs> as he was watching me try and get into the suit pretty much sums up the thought so at first he was a little bit confused as to what i was doing um, and then he looked quite concerned and then he looked a little bit disapproved um, sort of disapproval at me at the end. I think that's a little bit of the <laughs> kind of sums up the view of, of raw powerlifters too equipped at the minute. They're still a little bit confused as to what's going this guy on. This sounds like a real piece um, of work, by the way, Jacob. Oh, yes, you should, should have seen him train, honestly. No, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> Curls in the squat rack, right? That type of guy, huh? <laughs> that was him. That was him. But yeah, that kind of summed up how equipped powerlifting is still seen, but it's cool to see that coming back because, of course, that's where powerlifting started. It started equipped um, and then went to raw in, in sort of the past 10, 15 years. Um, yeah. What do you got, Hayden? Yeah, no, I think uh, to feed off that, um, you know, first of all, I, I have done some equipped lifting mainly in training and uh, yeah, so I feel for you. I think one of the biggest things um, when it comes to equipped lifting is, and maybe the, the slight decrease is that more and more people are lifting alone. Uh, and I definitely think over this last year, a lot of people had to start training alone, right? And you need um, you need a group. You need a training crew for geared lifting, and it's a really important thing. You're going to be putting on weight, you know, weight on your back that you haven't, 
you know, you may have never touched before. And uh, there's just, just a, a feel good if you got a spotter or two or three spotters uh, to, to catch you as, you know, you're not exactly the most mobile when it comes to putting on a, a squat suit or a bench shirt for that reason. So, but um, I agree with you. The explosion of uh, powerlifting has probably been the largest, um, I would say. I think it's one, I think one, um, the lifts are simple, you know, simpler, you know, like squat, bench, deadlift. Um, everybody has, uh, who's ever done any kind of sport uh, in a, at any setting that had a structured weightlifting program uh, attached to it has done those three lifts in some capacity or at some variation of those lifts. So it's familiar to people. Um, it's a very easy way for them to get uh, back into the gym. And a lot of people, I'm, I, I would assume, uh, at least from my experience and meeting people, you know, they started their fitness journey back into getting back in shape. And they got more addicted to the strength gains than they did through their actual transformation of their body. And that's been a that's been super cool to see because uh, it's what I would always push as a trainer is, you know, like I want to make you strong. Like if you look good in the mirror, that's awesome. But that's oftentimes made in the kitchen. You know, it's like, I want to make you strong. I want to make you functional and I want to make you strong. And there's no reason you can't be strong, you know, as strong now when you're 40 as you were when you were 20, no reason at all. So I think that has a lot to do with it. And then, um, you know, like, like all training, training can get monotonous and tedious, honestly. So I think we're seeing people, more and more people compete because it gives them a goal and it's something to drive through. And so to me, all of those things are exciting. Um, and I would just contribute. Um, yeah, I would, there, there's so many facets to contribute to the growth of powerlifting, much like I think we're going to talk about weightlifting in the next part, you know, but we, we, we talked about how weightlifting has grown so big and that's, it's, it's got to be, you know, almost 100%, not 100%, but a huge majority of the reason it's grown is, is because of CrossFit, just the introduction of the lifts to normal people, right, or to general population people. And so, you know, powerlifting has some of the, I, what I feel powerlifting has is, is some of the same roots is uh, it's just a, at a simple, more simple level of like, I got back in the gym and I know I squat and bench and deadlift and I got strong and I feel good and I want to compete and I want to see what I could do, you know, and that's exciting for me. And I think that's exciting for the sport in general. It's brought a lot of uh, really cool faces into the sport. Uh, a lot of people that I bet have, would have never, you know, tried um, if, if that, if, you know, if it wouldn't have just been so accessible, um, I know that, uh, you know, we, we talked about it and there's, um, there's a note here to kind of talk about getting into the Olympics. And I know that's been a goal from powerlifting buddies that I've had in the past. And, you know, it doesn't look like it's likely to be added to the Olympics. Uh, I, I, I have to say knowing, knowing, a the vice president of the IWF, I can say that more than likely no sport that has a history of doping will be let into the Olympics again. And I hate to shatter anybody's dreams and I'm not hundred percent certain that that's the case, but it is very, uh, you know, it would be very difficult to see that happen for me. Uh, you know, not, 
yeah, it would, it seems pretty far, far fetched that uh, another sport for doping actually, I've been told that uh, by the same individual who hopefully will have her on at some point um, soon that uh, sports, you know, the Olympic sports will actually go in the opposite direction, actually more judged like, uh, and kind of regional even. Um, but that's for a whole nother podcast that I'm kind of excited to dive into you, Jacob, about because I got a little bit of insider knowledge when it comes to that stuff. And that's, that's exciting, but yeah, sadly, you know, it doesn't look like it's any closer to being in the Olympics. Once again, prove me wrong, put it in the Olympics, you know, go powerlifting. Uh, but I do, you know, you know, I think there are a lot of things and we have another bullet point here that just says still too many federations. Um, and so Jacob, please speak to <laughs> speak to that bullet point right there. Yeah, so this is a really obviously subjective thing. And it's firstly, it's great that there are so many federations because it means regional local coverage of, of powerlifting is is prevalent. So each you know, state and, and style of powerlifting is covered in, in some respects. Um, and obviously the, there's unity in powerlifting in, in the three lifts and the kind of the ultimate goal of to, to lift more weight. But then within these federations, all of the different rules, um, all of the different equipment, um, there's an interesting breakdown I read <clears throat> once about um, if you enter a powerlifting competition, how many hundreds of options there actually are in terms of which category you can go into. You know, if you break down all the age categories, all the equipment, all of the um, sort of levels, if they have novice competitions, um, you know, there's police and fire, there's there's millions of, uh, of different categories. And I think as united as the sport is in the common goal, it's pretty, um, pretty diversified in terms of the federation. I think we're probably at the closest we've been to even thinking about the olympics with sort of the ipf and and that kind of strand of powerlifting but yeah i think it's uh i think it's a little way off if if not impossible but um and i yeah. hope for everybody that i didn't sound biased there you know I, I and truly i'm not i i would love for the powerlifting to be in the olympics i think the whole concept of this was to just say that it doesn't look like it's any closer to being in the olympics as of right now um so yeah. Oh my gosh. This bullet point and this one, the Petras dude, uh, you know, there's raw numbers that are getting close to people that are equipped. Right. And you're talking about scary and you talked about Blaine and uh, Bryce and, you know, them possibly moving into these, you know, single and multiply <laughs> divisions. <laughs> Just talk about scary numbers, man. You know, individuals that are already squatting in the thousand, uh, that, you know, touch, you know, uh, I forget his, I know his IG handle, Optimus Prime. What's his name? Yeah, Ray Williams. Ray Williams, there we go. You know, if, you know, Ray puts on a multiply suit, like what, you know, it's like, what? I don't even understand. Um, so, you know, these numbers are getting crazy and uh, the raw records are are shooting up and it, that's really cool to see. Um, but, and what, I, what I've liked about powerlifting though, is much like we talked about the transition from some powerlifting athletes into strongman. I've had the pleasure of welcoming tons of powerlifters into Highland Games. And uh, that's segue. what? <laughs> Incredible segue. I love, I love that. What a, what a pro. <laughs> yeah, I feel like a pro right now as we, yeah, please. Um, but as we, you know, 
as we do segue here in the Highland Games, though, it has been cool to see the sport grow. And primarily that's because of, uh, of sports like strongman and powerlifting. Um, you know, Highland Games, as, as we kind of get into the topic, um, I am a current Highland Games athlete. And I've really only been throwing steadily in the Highland Games now for a little over a year and a half. Uh, a little less than two years. And I've already seen the sport grow uh, like considerably. And it has a lot of different facets. I think um, there's kind of a changing of the guard right now as, you know, traditionally Highland Games uh, has kind of been an older athlete sport. 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s. And you've had these le like legends of Highland Games just exponentially skyrocket the growth of Highland Games. And but now you get to, we've I've gotten to see this wave of younger athletes coming in. It's really exciting to see because yeah, they have they have gotten in the gym and they've worked their squat and their bench and their deadlift and they've had a lot of fun and they've gotten a lot stronger. And they come out and what's not to like about the Highland Games, man, you come out and you see and you see people throwing heavy shit around in the field. Right. Like, and and uh, half the time they're drinking whiskey out of a bottle. Right. You know, because that's how our sport is right? Regu regulated. Right. Um, but, you know, Highland Games right now, as it sits, is growing uh, is growing well and it's going to grow faster and faster as I as I believe that you have some way better athletes coming in to Highland Games. Um, you know, a lot of ex throwers that are finding their stride in the Highland Games and are putting out distances. Uh, John Van Buren, to name uh, one, Kendall Thomas, uh, Garrett Blacknick, who was a power lifter, very strong individual who climbed up really quickly to be number one in the amateurs in uh, 2019 in the world. And, you know, it's, it's, it's not, um, I think a lot of powerlifters are coming in and noticing that like, um, it's not just a strength sport. There's good, there's a level of athleticism when you're trying to spin around with 56 pounds, but it's the challenge that I think is getting people drawn in. And that's exciting. I think that we have um, some, hindering should we have some some gatekeepers in certain at certain levels and then we also have some um some issues with just overall governance of the sport that i'm personally trying to take a swing at um in 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 reality uh you know it's it's going to take a long time to create some kind of governing body and regulation around the sport that i love so much right now but I'm excited to take it on, um, but you know we don't have a governing body. We don't have a federation. We don't have a real rule book. You know, you go from Texas to Utah to uh, Massachusetts. You know, you have differing different rules at each games that you go to, and it's solely almost based on the AD's discretion. Uh, and when I say AD, I mean the athletic director, which is usually the individual that puts on the games. Um, you go across the pond, though, and you go over to Scotland uh, or or, uh, or Ireland or anywhere that's, you know, throwing some uh, 
uh, throwing some Highland games together and uh, you have different rules over there and they throw different events and, you know, the United States, you know, we, in, we basically made the sheaf a thing, you know, but the sheaf is not really a thing in traditional Scottish Highland games, right? And um, so there are so many facets of Highland games that are just disjointed and I'm trying to align, align them one, one at a time. And I think the start is getting the United States under one kind of, you know, database that include, that starts to develop some kind of rule book through committee, you know, and then the next step is regulations and not having, not having the world record for the light stone and then the heavy stone. And, you know, it's like, no, you know, there needs to be a record for a 16 pound open stone and it needs to make sure and make weight, but it doesn't need to, we don't need to be having a record because the stone was 15.9 pounds. It just, it didn't make weight. It's not a record then. Like there's no record. You don't, it's a good throw, but it didn't make weight, you know? And so these are all things that I think the sport has to tackle and, you know, but it's been around forever and it's, you know, it's, once again, there's a lot of things to, to dissect in the sport and to, to break down and to make better. So I'm excited to take that on myself and I will be able to give you constant updates about how Highland Games is progressing as that is what I'm probably most involved in. Uh, but, you know, coming from the UK, how, you know, how, how popular was Highland Games over there? Yeah, well, it's, it's not a world that I've been massively involved in or had too much exposure to. Um, I've never seen, obviously I'm from England, part of the UK. I've never seen one advertised locally to me, um, but I know obviously huge in Scotland. And I think what you just said is really interesting. It sounds like the infancy of a lot of the strength sports that we know today. And it sounds like you're helping them along to, you know, create the sports and the, the official rules and records and, and regulations and things that they need. Um, has anyone tried to do this before or is this sort of a new thing? Cause obviously Highland games has been around for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Um, you know, is this the first time that some, you know, it's on, it seems like you're on the cusp of, um, setting in stone what Highland Games is and kind of defining the Highland Games, the heavy events. So yeah, has this been attempted before? Yeah, yeah so I, I, yeah, people have definitely attempted um, and there are, there are groups um, of, you know, uh, the IHGF, um, International Highland Games Federation that comes to mind. Uh, there are also groups in the United States um, that kind of come under one banner and kind of follow their own rules, right? Uh, what I'm trying to do is to create more of a, um, more of a United, like a USA track and field. You know, I, I want a, I want a unified banner for everyone to go under. I don't, I don't want it to devolve into uh, a powerlifting. Not once again, not being, not, not <laughs> dogging on powerlifting at all, but I don't want, a hundred small groups across the U.S. To, to be doing their own thing, right? I don't think that's how I can grow a sport um, uh, to what I really want to grow it to. And so there have been people that have come across, and what the, the issue is that there's just there's zero money in in Highland Games. You know, uh, 
my friend, I mentioned him on the last podcast, Mike Beach. He, he does a great podcast called Heavy Light, uh, the Heavy Light podcast. And, you know, if you want to learn more about Highland Games and get a little in touch with that world, you should go listen to his podcast, uh, Heavy Light. But he's, he always makes a joke. He's like, yeah, you can make dozens of dollars in the Highland Games. And that's, that's his joke that I've taken so many, in so many places now. But there's, been, there's, no, there's no real money in the sport. And because of that, and, and also that old guard, you know, that has been doing things their own way and they have been, they, and they've elevated the sport, but, you know, now it's 30 or 40 years down the road and, you know, there's still the ADs as, and, and as they start to, and as they start to move out and newer ADs come in, you know, there's the, uh, there's the opportunity to expand a sport that has never been expanded like this before. And so that's how I see it. And you know, there have been people though that have made attempts to to make this sport bigger and better. And I think that it may have just not been the right time. There may have just not been amount the amount of time needed in that person's life. Like I like I've said on other podcasts about Highland Games, this is a sport, you know, this is a sport where a lot of times it's the I played sports in high school and then I took eight years off because I had a kid and had a life. And now, like, because maybe I have Scottish heritage or I've always wanted to do it, like, or I was a thrower in high school, like, I want to get back into Highland Games. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of, you know, we get a lot of, like, these late 20s and 30-year-old athletes that are coming into the sport. And because of that, you know, it's just, you know, it is what it is right now, you know. And most of them or a lot of them are there to, see how far they can throw uh, to beat themselves, you know, mm -hmm. to bullshit with their friends. And like I said, and to drink whiskey between throws. Like that's, that is our sport. It's a, it's the consummate Scottish, you know, thing to do. And so it's exciting, but I do think there's a way to elevate the sport. And uh, I don't want to take anything away from the tradition of the sport. I just want to make, I just want to bring it to the light more and, mm -hmm. Luckily, I live in a, we live in an era now where um, that's possible and there are plenty of other people just like me in the sport that want to see it grow. So, yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. Anyways, yeah. I, could, I, could, I could talk, yeah. We, <laughs> I could talk three hours, four, five, six hours about Highland Games, but we'll cut it off there because, you know, as I master the segue skill, Jacob, uh, this last year, we didn't get to do a lot of Highland Games. And I know a lot of competitions in general were shut down. Highland Games uh, definitely had a, were hit, was hit really hard though, because, you know, these were usually done at festivals. Festivals usually are the ones forking over a couple hundred bucks or a thousand bucks to make sure a fest, like uh, to make sure Highland Games gets going. But these mm -hmm. festivals are closing down. And so a lot of people weren't also able to go to the gym or go out and throw. And so they were hitting their home gyms up. And I think, you know, what we saw this last uh, year was this spike in the need, the demand for gym equipment. And uh, along that, those lines, also commercial gyms having to either change their structure or, or, or new, new opportunities popping up. So yeah, how was that? How was it in, you know, how was it? How was the price gouging in the uh, in in England when you were there? Yeah, it seemed 
seemed pretty bad um, last year to get hold of kits. Um, I think, yeah, just for context, I think over the past few years, obviously commercial big box gyms have been on the rise. Um, and I just think they're almost taken over the, the industry in a, in a way, especially in the UK. Um, I can name probably tens of, of different brands that you'd see in, in different cities and towns, um, absolutely rinsing personal trainers. Um, and yeah, just, just they seem to be dominating and taking over. Um, I think from my perspective, my observation, I was a, a member of a sort of local strength gym, and I think many of them lent equipment out, which I thought was fantastic, um, which showed the real kind of community. And I think they've, because of that, when everything started to move back to normal, I know kind of lockdowns again in the UK, but when everything started to go back to normal, people noticed that and they've moved away from the commercial gyms into the sort of more boutique, um, family-run, local independent gyms, which I think is brilliant. I think a lot of the commercial big gyms were, were very good. Um, I think I wrote in the notes, one example, I was teaching a fitness course um, up in Leeds in the UK and went into an exercise for less um, gym, which is a brand that they had in the UK. And the membership was something like £7.99 a month, which, you know, given that the average is about 30 to 35 in the UK, it was an absolute steal. And I went there and I, I got the email and I thought, oh, this place, you know, probably just going to be a bunch of old treadmills and, and not very good, but it was like a, it was like a hangar. It was like an airport, uh, sorry, an air aircraft hangar, absolutely massive. And it had the most squat racks, deadlift platforms, calibrated plates that I'd ever seen. And I just thought, oh, okay, maybe I need to change my perspective on commercial gyms. And that was the sort of level they were getting to. And then I think over the past couple of years, and especially with coronavirus, it's taken that U-turn back towards more independent, um, sort of family run gyms due to the, the lending out equipment people want more of a community as well um and these gyms were getting very very busy in the evenings peak times you know 5 6 p.m and, and things like that um so i think yeah in terms of gyms that's where that's where we are and i think we're going to see that the world over as we move out of lockdown um i know a few unfortunately you know it's never good to, to wish any bad at any business but some of the the commercial gyms have have gone under i know that um yeah, this move towards more independent gyms is is probably rife. Do, would you agree? Is that kind of what's been going on over in the States? Yeah, so there definitely, you know, there's definitely a move away from commercial gyms, I would say. Um, as I as I say that, you know, I come, I came home from my commercial gym. Granted, it was not a chain, you know, it's a one-off. It's just a, in a big Albertson, so it feels like a commercial gym. Um, but I, yeah, I, I agree completely. I think what we saw was, and here it was more so CrossFit gyms. You know, there's a CrossFit gym on every corner almost. And so when quarantine happened, you know, CrossFit is not the cheapest, you know, uh, way to exercise per month for someone. And, but what it did do, what it's always done a great job though, is build community. And they did lend out a lot of their equipment. Uh, we saw a lot of their, um, you know, we saw a lot of people there kind of still paying their monthly to keep the doors open, you know, to keep the lights on for these business owners because, and I, and I think that was really encouraging for me to see because small businesses were hurt so much, uh, especially in the U.S. Uh, and I'm sure everywhere uh, that quarantine happened, you know, mom and pop shops that were, were hurt a lot. And so, 
you know, them being willing to just like lend out their equipment and then move to a more virtual online type of training atmosphere was they, they did it so quick and uh, the support shown for smaller gyms like that was super evident. Um, I think on top of that, though, in the States, though, you did see this huge increase in garage gyms you know, and people doing their own setups, you know, getting the molds and doing concrete plates and, and, all, and all the things. And like, I think it was, I think it's super, that's also super cool to see. I think it turned a lot of people from going to commercial gyms to like, no, I got everything I did here, everything I need here. And I've been doing this for the last six months and it's the best, it's my best possible scenario, right? You know, I told you that we got, you know, we got epoxy, we epoxy in my garage and uh, I already had some equipment, but we epoxy the garage and put the equipment back in there. And now it feels like my own, you know, my own little sanctuary out there. And I don't need a lot, but uh, luckily I had, I had a lot of stuff before quarantine uh, here in the States because the price gouging was just insane. We're talking about four or $5 per pound for plates and dumbbells were just outrageous. I mean, I could, you could have bought a call. Like I have power block dumbbells that go from five to 90 by two and a half pound increments. Right. And I bought those before everything happened and I got a good deal on them and, you know, they saved a bunch of space, but man, I could have bought a new car if I wanted to sell those uh, over quarantine. It was so ridiculous. Um, so we, you know, we kind of have some notes here though around manufacturers though, who stepped it up and, you know, so many places sold out, you know, so quick, instantly, it, it seemed like. But you did have people like, uh, like Chris Duffin and Kabuki, like coming full swing, making new plates. Um, you know, you have the higher end areas, but you also have, you know, you also have some, some people showing up onto the market that, you know, were lesser quality. Um, but I think the coolest part was that I don't think strength got any smaller. You know, we can all laugh at the, at the videos of the guys who lost all their gains on quarantine. Right. I don't know if you've seen them, but the, you know, there's the before picture and then they're like, and then the video of them, like on their couch in quarantine and they're just lost everything. And they're, you know, they've been eating chips and ice cream uh, the whole time. And, you know, and that's, that's funny, but I think what it did is actually solidifying people's minds. Like, um, they're like, Hey, I really like doing this. And so, uh, and now, you know, I have no excuse, you know, everybody has a DIY, uh, you know, video now about how to make a wooden rack, if you need it, how to make concrete plates, like what dimensions to put in them, how much rebar to put in them in order to get to 45 pounds. And that's, um, that was super, that was super cool to see. And, uh, I don't know if you had the same experience. I know you yourself, had, you know, you were a builder of sorts. Uh, I know you had some fun uh, doing some building over over quarantine, but, you know, was it the same way? Was there a lot of home gym activity over in England at the time? Yeah, definitely. It was really cool to see. I think some of the great things I saw, you know, just on Instagram, people making these wooden racks that look like something out of, you know, a bespoke catalog for, for gyms. Who just, beautiful, right? Yeah. Yeah absolutely incredible i mean me personally i managed to borrow about 120 kilos from from my gym which is 
was great. And I had, you know, $40 rack that I bought from Amazon, thankfully just in the head to use. Um, yeah, fantastic. But yeah, it was just a, a very weird time. I think a lot of people used it to um, use the time to rehab injuries that had been lingering for perhaps years, taking that time just to get properly, properly healthy, get their nutrition in check as well. Um, yeah. And yeah, I'd be glad to see everything go back to normal of sorts, but I think you touched on, um, you touched on the state of equipment as well, which is something else we were going to cover. Um, and all, yeah, all I really wanted to, to say with that is that just the, I think, the technology and precision engineering now that's going into gym equipment, barbells, plates, all this kind of thing is definitely getting up to the level of things like the car industry and, you know, everything like that. It's just incredible to see and, you know, leaders and people like you said, Chris Duffin um, with his Kabuki strength and, uh, and Sorin X as well and, and different manufacturers like that. It's, it's really brilliant to see. Yeah. I had the, the really cool pleasure of going, to Sornex HQ not too not too long ago and you know hearing them kind of talk about you know their production and you know they it, it really is almost like a like a car plant there you know they're thinking they're you know and they they're usually they were telling me that they were usually on a four to six week you know kind of out time frame and they were at uh 16 weeks that's how that's how many orders and whatnot and i feel there's people like sorenex that came out with the um i forget what the rack was called but it was a you know a simple rack that you could put anywhere right mm -hmm. and they came out with it really quickly it was affordable um that actually came you know with um the knowing that the profit from those was going to go to uh a coaches relief fund for COVID, like coaches that were let go or, or had lost their jobs. And so that was uh, really cool. And I think you saw a lot of companies kind of do something similar to that. And, you know, but hearing them talk about contacting multiple manufacturers um, that day about uh, rubber plates, you know, making sure that they constantly had rubber plates being manufactured in order to get, um, you know, to fulfill all the needs that, you know, uh, were coming in. Um, it was definitely, you know, it definitely made me have a newfound respect for the equipment industry, uh, just being able to see that. And I think one of the coolest things is watching Kabuki strength, you know, and, and Chris Duffin really elevate his whole line and um, really do some incredibly innovative stuff over there. You have uh, Samson uh, EQ and, uh, Texas strength systems and hammer strength. And you have all these manufacturers that are, that I think really, really put it, put it down rogue, you know, to try and make things happen um, for people that needed, you know, a solution. A lot of times the gyms were people's, um, you know, stress relief. Mm -hmm. And um, I can only imagine with the added stress of being home all the time, uh, you know, that, it was needed even more. And so I think a lot of the companies really rose to the occasion. Um, it wasn't easy and it wasn't as fast as anybody wanted it to. And I think everybody would have liked to be back at their, you know, at their gym and, and like life was before this, but we're in 2021 now and parts of the world are still now in quarantine and lockdown. And so I think, you know, everybody's, everybody's kind of now in this state of understanding that, 
you know, it might not go back to normal uh, for mm -hmm. a little while longer, you know, who knows what no new normal is. And so I think um, all in all, it was an amazing kind of show of uh, support from, you know, everybody when it came to gym uh, manufacturers of equipment, but also from the patrons that bought it, you know, and I know plenty of people that spent all their stimulus uh, government money on, on equipment alone. So yeah, I put it back into the economy. <laughs> yeah. We, uh, just before jumping onto record, we did a little poll on the uh, history of strength sports Instagram and got about 300 responses, which is good considering we only left it on there for, for a couple of hours. Um, about 10% of the followers said that they were still in lockdown about 130. Um, I think it was split half and half. People said they were, um, you know, business as usual. And then the other half said that they were in lockdown, but still able to train. So it looks like our followers, at least that everybody's found a solution to, to training and, and strength sports are continuing at least on a, on an individual level, which I think is, uh, yeah. I think it's brilliant. So, yeah. So I think that, that pretty much brings us to the end of, end part of part one here. Yeah. <laughs> of the, the state of strength sports as we see it. So we've covered strongman powerlifting, Highland games, state of equipment and, and gyms. So yeah. Yeah. I next, think, you know, next episode we'll be covering grip strength. I love how, um, you know, there's one note on grip strength here, the one bullet point that makes me so happy. And it goes along with the whole equipment piece, you know, which is just, uh, you know, gyms be gyms were closed, but Home Depot is open for nails. <laughs> I love that so much. And it was so true. And, uh, you know, I've mentioned fog uh, in the past uh, and the berserkers that come along with that. And a lot of them took out, you know, um, bending nails and, 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 uh, grip grip sports in general because it was first of all simple and fun and easy to do or easy to get access to uh but now part two you will cover grip sports we'll cover um you know kind of the state of coaching right now um the massive increase of women in strength sports which is just exciting uh strength in the media and then uh try to touch on bodybuilding and weightlifting as well does that sound right yeah i think um yeah, we've got enough for at least one more episode there. So let's let's call it part <laughs> part one and a part two, potential extension as well. Yeah. Yeah. Where's We're just willy nilly in this, you know. It's willy yeah. nilly, whatever, whatever we feel like, right? Bring it um, up. But everybody, we appreciate you listening again to the History of Strength Sports podcast, episode two here. Um, <laughs> please go and um, subscribe uh, wherever you find wherever you listen to your podcast. Uh, We'll be coming out with episodes on a regular basis. Um, my name's Hayden Balio, and I'm here with... I'm Jacob Hawkins from the History of Strength Sports. And uh, yeah, thanks for listening. Follow along to our pages, and we'll see you in the next episode. Yeah. Talk to you all soon.